What's up, YouTube? My name is Matt. Sometimes I go by the Grand Factor, but uh, welcome to another episode of Thirsty Smurfing Thursday. We are coming at you live. We are going to be taking your questions today. We're going hard in the Smurfing paint. Alongside me, we have Ryan Demand, we have Ray Ito. Gentlemen, how in the hell are you doing? <laughs> I'm trying to come down from my high stress state. <laughs> uh, so Why? we were we were we were talking about um, uh, in the in the in the pre-show there of like our our activities and and uh, what what we do is you know kind of our own you know personal uh, uh, you know health challenges the way the way we we modulate and moderate and all that fun stuff and uh, we use we use the whoop. And uh, one of the interesting things about it is that it, it will it will give you your stress levels on the day. And sometimes it's a good thing, you know, where you're like, oh, man, I, you know, you're right. I felt pretty good today. Uh, my device is telling me I had a good day. And then some days you're like, man, today sucked. Jesus, it was awful. It was terrible. And then the whoop reminds you, by the way, you spent 50 percent of your day in the high stress zone today. Be careful. Don't have a heart attack. Like, oh, thanks, you asshole. <laughs> sure. Well, I I I told uh, J Pink uh, I'm basically going to be freaking out the whoop every single day because uh, in absence of extremely strong drugs, my normal heart rate is near a hundred. Gosh, he's like a little bird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My he's normal heart rate is yeah. near a hundred, and. Uh, you know, should I have to exert myself, then that heart rate goes towards, let's see, what was it yesterday? 175, Matt. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, now I'll, I'll say this, like, on my, on my runs, I try to pace myself at about 160 beats per minute. It's kinda, mm -hmm. That's kind of how I set my pace, right? Some days that's going to be like six, seven. Some days that's going to be like seven miles an hour. Some days it's just going to be six and it is what it is, depending on, you know, what did I, did I do legs before I ran or not? Um, I, and then occasionally I'll have an episode of supraventricular tachycardia and I will be sitting on my couch. Uh, uh, you know, the kids are running around and it's a nice, easy going experience, except I'm cruising at about 220 beats per minute. And, uh, and that's, that's an interesting thing. Uh, uh, it's, it's weird when your device goes off and, and tells you, you know, that you, you just burned, uh, 1200 calories over the last 33 minutes. And, uh, we're, we're at 220 beats per minute the entire time. It's kind of, kind of, <laughs> uh, the way Yikes. we're going to do this show today is, uh, 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 send in your questions. You can either put them in the chat. Uh, you can, of course, Email mail at thegrassfactor.tv. We're gonna we're gonna hold off for the phone calls for a little bit because uh, you never know when the next uh, uh, Brian or Spencer may show up. By the way, uh, yesterday was my birthday. I turned thirty seven, and uh, who commented on my birthday? None other than Spencer himself. Um, he said, uh, "Happy birthday!" Um, something along the lines of like, "I wish I wish I was there to give you a uh, a, a happy birthday present of some MSMA or something like." That. Oh, that's that's fine. <laughs> you okay. are a fucking pussy. That I am, um, without without a doubt. You are what you eat, and uh, and that is that is a okay with me. 
Uh, first question we had come in was from Michael B. Michael B. said, can you tell me where I can buy? It, it, it probably doesn't read like that. I don't, I probably don't need to read Is it. Is there a period way. after every word? <laughs> no, I'm just being a dick. Question mark. <laughs> can you, you we'll do a show tell speak me? Every, yes, we'll speak every piece of punctuation. Uh, where I can buy citric acid that I can use in my spreader to lower my lawn pH in upstate New York from its current level of 7.5. I've tried elemental sulfur with little effect. Um, a, a granular citric acid, you're probably not going to find. It is too hygroscopic Whoa. of a material, and your rate control is going to be next to zero. Uh, so your best yeah. bet would be would be making that as a liquid application because all right here here's the deal with it being hygroscopic right you you broadcast spread it on your lawn say you even get you get a nice clean anhydrous citric acid that's really dry um, you know it's got it's got uh, uh, sixty uh, silica packets in it right just to make sure all the moisture's out it's, it it remains anhydrous from doorstep to doorstep you get it you free flow it into your spreader you broadcast it on your lawn. And uh, well, guess what? Your 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 atmospheric humidity is is not going to be zero, right? Even even Aldo down there in Southern California is it isn't going to be zero. And uh, and what happens is uh, well, some of that is going to end up adhering to the to the leaf surface. And uh, what you don't want to have happen is uh, citric acid and hydrous concentrate um uh drawing atmospheric moisture and beginning to dissolve while in contact of your leaf surface at at as literally at saturation that is a recipe for a dead lawn so uh granular citric acid would never be advised in my opinion ray you have a shit-eating grin on your face uh so I, part of me wants to ask if you've ever done this. I know you haven't, but have you ever done this? No, I haven't. I'm, I'm just, uh, I just have this shit-eating grin on my face because imagine trying to spread something evenly that is the same consistency and same hygroscopicity as white sugar. Who? And... And the reason why I'm thinking about this is because my normal suggested rate on citric acid are no more than a pound per thousand square foot. And my nope. preferred method of delivering that is in anywhere from one to ten gallons of water per thousand square foot, followed by immediate irrigation. And the reason why that level of dilution is because May I explain to you all what a 10 to 20% citric acid solution does to foliage? What what did you say? Yeah. May I explain what a 20% solution of citric acid will do to foliage or leaves? Uh, It's it's just going to kill it. It's going to kill it. Yeah, it's, it's going to just turn it to a crisp right before your eyes. Uh, we, were, we were laughing at Spencer, um, uh, uh, you know, using MSMA. Uh, you, you could get an, an equivalent but greater effect out of, uh, out of 20% citric acid uh, adhered, adhered to your leaves. 
Um, we have a, another question here from Eric B. This is curious on your thoughts of using MAP as a starter for it. Uh, by all means, you can. And just be careful with your rate. Um, mm-hmm. You know, again, it's an eleven fifty-two zero, right? So, you know, be cognizant of what you're you're putting down. Uh, your best bet's probably to dissolve it and spray it rather than. You know, you're not you're not uh, side dressing tomatoes. Uh, you're not side dressing corn. You're not drilling it with corn. Um, you're growing turf grass, right? So, uh, how how much pea do you actually need in that single ap- application? The the idea of soil loading is a is an old ag thing, and uh, and and we're not we're not an ag as as far as I know. We are the dirty we are the dirty bastard stepchild of ag, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't say we're we're old school ag, although it does. We do. There's still a lot of people that think BCR is a, a thing, right? A lot. Yeah, I don't it's have a, a problem with it. That's amazing. Map that. I have, a, I have a problem with BCSR. How about that? Oh mm-hmm. yeah. We should actually. We oh, should yeah. have an entire. We should have an entire database of acronyms that we are okay uh, <laughs> on the fence and <laughs> completely fucking opposed to. Should, should uh, I'm going to do this out of order uh, because speaking of BCSR, uh, Michael, Michael Woods <laughs> came in with the, uh, with, the, with the softball here and said, what's the best time of year to soil test? And I'll be damned if in May of 2023, Asian Turfgrass didn't write a blog post about this. And if you haven't checked it out, AsianTurfGrass.com, uh, Michael Woods in the chat there is, uh, is Dr. Michael Woods. Uh, and uh, the 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 creator and data aggregator and theorist of uh, MLSN, uh, which uh, would be the superior choice to BCSR. Uh, if you don't know what those are, uh, BCSR is the idea uh, from uh, Dr. Albrecht that was you know, it was the, this idea that there was a magic ratio of uh, of of calcium to magnesium to uh, uh, what was it? Potassium, uh, in the yes. in the in the soil, and yeah. you, and you you had to hit these certain magic ratios, and if you did, you had perfect soil tilth, and then <laughs> it would unlock the the mysteries of the world. Pandora's box would open. Uh, uh, in, Indiana Jones and the the Raiders of the Lost Ark would would they would open the the tomb. Everybody's face would melt off, and and everyone would have uh five hundred ninety bushel an acre corn. I uh, just worldwide. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. Yeah, it, it, uh, Matt. Yeah, Matt doesn't watch movies, so he doesn't know anything about Indiana I have Jones. No idea don't let him fool you. I, 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 know. <laughs> I just I know the scene with the face melting. I don't even know if that was Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. Right? <laughs> yeah, I think it was. Mm-hmm. It was. Um, uh, but uh, the uh, the anyway, I I digress. Well, what ended up happening with with Albrecht is that he actually went back and said, "Huh, interesting." Is that uh, the, the thing about ratios is that if you start with an already deficient state and you still have ideal ratios, uh, the, the, your 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 magic ratio doesn't doesn't matter if you're if you're already in a deficient state. So if one's deficient, they're all deficient, and uh, and you're not you're not opening uh, the Ark of the Covenant. No phases are melting, and no one's growing 590 bushel an acre corn, um, and that parlays over into turf grass as well. Uh, especially, I, I'll steal the the phrase from Demay is that turf grass is a poverty plant, right? The uh, the needs of the plant uh, are not anywhere near um, uh, what 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 most people would expect it to be. Uh, that being said, as far as the best time of year, uh, what Doctor Michael Woods recommends is 
you would test in the year where your soil nutrients would be lowest, right? Uh, and if you live in a uh, in, in a dry climate, perhaps in an area where you have uh, the uh, greatest amount of rainfall to keep it, uh, 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 you know, to, to make sure you're as depleted as possible in, in effect. So typically my rainy seasons are going to be summer and winter, right? Uh, so a perfect time for me to do it is is actually winter because uh, one, there has been no fertility applied in a really long time. Two is that I've been subjected to uh, a, uh, an exceptional amount of rain. And so that is Without a doubt, the absolute most depleted state that uh, that I will I will usually experience, um, especially from a PKS perspective, right? Um, uh, you know, N N might still be up there, and then if I used ammonium sulfate at the end of the year, S may be inflated a little bit, but uh, for the most part, P and K should be uh, at their at their lowest point. So, uh, like he stated here, uh, and I'll. I'll Put them right here. I prefer autumn, which I think I wrote on the blog linked above. Pay surf and a lot of the turpros have a slight preference for spring sampling. Interested to know y'all's idea. Um, now, uh, Mike, I'll, I'll tell you, mine is actually winter, and I like it because from a lawn care perspective, is that if you are billing, and I highly recommend if you're a lawn care company and you're trying to figure out how to uh, generate revenue in the in the fall, if you sell a hundred new yards that are new to you, you know, not a damn thing about them other than, uh, Mrs. Jones lives there and has lived there for a year and a half. And she has, um, a, a, a sweet baby daughter and a, uh, a 12 year old boy. And that's the only thing you know about her. That's the only thing you know about the yard and you want a starting point. And by all means, charge them 35 bucks, go pull a soul sample or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever your fee is. And then one, you've generated a little revenue Two, you've generated some data and offer you a starting point. And it may be non-actionable data. It could be actionable data in the sense that you may notice trends in neighborhoods, right? Uh, or you may know, tr- may notice trends in regions. It may be in quadrants of, of your particular routes. And, uh, but I- anyway, data, data is king, Right. And uh, they said 35 bucks gas must be cheaper to you. Yeah. I'm also thinking of like, you know, uh, 2012, uh, when this, when this shit was reality, right. Um, uh, inflation's a little different now. Anyway, point being is that, um, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's, uh, it, it, it is, it is a, a revenue stream in winter when you have no other cash flow coming in. And, uh, in my opinion, it's a, it's a great time to be able to fulfill that show up during the winter generate a little bit of income and generate some data that you might notice some trends out of. I'll let y'all talk. I'm chatting. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, you've not been on a high stress date, so I'm going to keep making that joke. Cause I, I am apparently still wired. Um, a few things. I, I do think that there is maybe some push to do them at times when I, I sometimes question, I know that uh, I've seen, soils consultants here uh that will come out in the middle of summer you know and pull and pulled samples um so i think it just depends on your cadence and your frequency so that's i'm thinking more on that side like on the golf side maybe some high-end sports turf uh where they may may be sampling more than once a year but typically only once and you know i think the to dr woods's point you know if you're um if you're really going after something and having a very specific goal, I could see where sampling multiple times a year might be helpful, but uh, I would prefer a time, just like Matt said, a time when we're going to be at our lowest levels 
in theory, right? So here in Ohio, the Midwest, that's going to be, you know, from roughly Thanksgiving all the way up into, uh, you know, first part of March. Again, same kind of time frame that Matt's talking about. Uh, if, in, if nothing else, right, if you don't subscribe to that or you think that there's a better time, whatever, I would just ask you to, to time it uh, and be consistent year over year, right? So if you want to test on Father's Day, I'm not going to hear and tell you that you're right or wrong, but I'm going to tell you test on Father's Day every single year so that you can get, you know, some type of an apples to apples comparison, hopefully, unless you've appreciably changed your program from year to year, which I don't think a lot of people are doing, but, um, you know, certainly worth looking into. So that's my only thing is just uh, do whatever you want. I, I prefer to do it at a time when it's at its lowest levels, but uh, just be consistent, right? Consistency is the key to noticing those trends um good or bad what what about you right yeah okay my preferred time believe it or not is between january through march and that coincides with the time of the year that the highest rainfall is occurring and the time of the year when i am literally not applying nutrients so that's when the soil is at its lowest point. Uh, otherwise, exception to that would be if I am onboarding something new and I don't know anything about their FUBAR situation, then I that's want right. a soil test at that time. I mean, that's just uh, you know how I operate is that, and like what I tell people is I don't want to apply anything until I know more about your soil because I cannot tell just by looking at it. I have no idea. One thing too, I'll add on the pro side, and I've seen this happen a lot, particularly in golf. And I know Dr. Woods deals a lot with golf. I've seen a lot of situations where there's been a, a change in regime, right? In superintendent. And there's sometimes mm -hmm. no soil data to go off of. And you're starting from scratch, which is maybe a little bit easier, but some more, more troublesome is that, Somebody gets in there and says, oh, I've got all these lab results going back, you know, 5, 10, 15 years, whatever. Oh, but I don't like mm -hmm. that lab. Those guys, those guys are, you know, horse hockey, whatever. So they go get a different lab and start doing same test. They might be doing a malic 3 extractant, same thing, but the, the results are varying, right, from what they see from previous reports. And they go down a whole different direction in terms of their fertility approach. So I think that's something, too, that... um you know, to, to Dr. Woods's point, you know, there's obviously multiple different approaches to doing these things, but I think the results uh, and what you do with them, how you interpret them and how you uh, implement and reinforce a program are so wildly different. And I think that's maybe more concerning than people's approach to soil testing is what they do then after they have those results. And what if those results are mixed or different from what they're seeing in terms of turf performance, right? Uh, or... Um, from what past data says right and you get all these emotional responses of oh those guys those guys over there at waypoint are full of shit okay well maybe they are maybe they are but you know, like the trend line tells you something so it, <laughs> those are real things those are real things outside of the science and nerdery that we enjoy of it the, the human element right that comes into this too so just something I thought well I'd you say. see i like to separate out the political from the actual data and it's hard for people though, right? have you have you not hard. been around have you not been around the last five years <laughs> <laughs> oh I, i've been around i mean but uh 
My point is, is you watch that CNN. My, you know, speaking to what you said, other thing that I would do is always use the same lab. Hundred percent. You know, always always use the same lab, and in speaking with these people making strictly political decisions. Okay, that's yet another way for them to foobar themselves. Because what if that data that the existing lab is providing them is valid and actionable? Because, by the way, uh, you know, Brian, I have dealings with the lab where that lab does like to push DCSR. However, I ignore that part of the recommendations as just near noise. I just uh, take action on the raw numbers. <laughs> uh, anyway, th- th- thanks for the question, Doctor Woods. Uh, I think I think you're going to get, uh, I- at least obviously from us, you're you're going to get some some. Different experiences there because unvarnished, of, unvarnished, and uh, a, a lot of a lot of you know, different need for why it to occur as well too. I feel like, uh, what is the difference between Solero and Archon for search control? Uh, Archon is it is it Archon or Akron? Uh, it's Archon. Archon is the, is the liquid Vexus uh, product, mm-hmm. which is uh, perimisulfan. Is the active mm-hmm. ingredient Solero is a mazosulfuron. Now, um, while Archon's um, uh, active ingredient perimisulfan is a new chemistry, the mode of action is not new. It is a uh, it is an ALS inhibitor, uh, which interesting. The sulfonylureas are also ALS inhibitors, right? So group twos, um, you know, it is it is what it is. So you can expect a lot of systemic activity out of it. Uh, there's probably going to be some residual out of it. Um, I, I know Solero uh, sp- uh, specifically is is known for its uh, long-lasting residual effects and also pre-ish effects, right? Um, and if I if I recall correctly, uh, now I, I may be off. I do not have the experience with Vexus. Is is Vexus in the same same vein as uh, as as having that extended duration and quite possibly some pre-ish qualities out of it or am i wrong i could be totally wrong about that. no 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 matt you you are you're on the right track because the main feature of that vexus uh technology was a soil active sulfonylurea that targets nutsitch that was the whole premise that's how else could you sell a granule in a pound and a half bottle and tell people just go shake that over a patch of nutsedge, and and the nutsedge is dead. And interestingly enough, that nutsedge would not start dying until rain or irrigation hit those granules. So majority of the activity is through the soil. And you know what this uh, permisulfan reminds me of? Hmm. Reminds me a lot of inazequin. Hmm. Except. This perimisulfan is a lot more selective because I just read over the labeling for this 
Archon and Vexus, and apparently you can apply this product across most warm season and cool season turf grasses without injury. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Imazequin, uh, you have a slim margin of safety on tolerant warm season grasses. You overdo it or you do something wrong, the lawn is foobar. There you go. Um, the uh, Jacob asked, why does the drive label say not to apply to Kentucky bluegrass at the time of seeding, but it's okay seven days before? Is it just to cover your ass? Um, I, I, I don't know. Is there, I, I'm guessing, just due to the sensitivity of Kentucky bluegrass seed, uh, there's a, 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 while it's tolerant as an established plant, it's that, um, that seedling vigor stage can be interrupted by, a uh by a even a selective herbicide would be my guess it's a it's a very small seed not a lot of energy stored in that seed therefore i expect it to be sensitive and uh and not as tolerant to things that it would otherwise be tolerant of just a wild ass guess you don't have any input on that i don't know uh oh i gotta hang on i was on mute for my mute okay what was the question again where are we at i'm sorry oh sorry i went back up uh kentucky bluegrass and uh queen chlorac it, it says you oh. cannot apply uh drive to kentucky bluegrass at the time of seeding but it's okay seven days before is it just to cover your ass statement yes 100 percent uh there was uh there was a professor here at ohio state that did a bunch of work two years in a row and again just applied research nothing that was published or anything like that just kind of looking at some efficacy stuff of herbicide timings on the label as far as uh seeding intervals and basically found that pretty much all of them were bullshit i mean even did pre-emergence he did uh prodiamine and uh and did uh i think 0 7 14 21 28 after some of those plots look pretty darn good after they broke the barrier. I mean, so um, the one that was actually uh, the harshest on seeds, both at seeding and uh, up to about 21 days after uh, being applied over the top was uh, halosulfuron. So take that for what it is. But yeah, a lot of those windows were very much a CYA thing. But I will give credit mm-hmm. to um, the drive folks. Um, it is one of the more detailed labels as far as seeding intervals and different species and everything like that. So, um, good job. Yeah, they they, they did a lot of uh, research to segregate out uh, when you can apply it, when you shouldn't apply it. But uh, I've heard from various sur- sources in real life, provided you're well calibrated, uh, drive when seeding Kentucky bluegrass uh, in combination with mesotrione is a solid weed management program during seeding. Um, we have another one here from Michael Pedroza, who says, is a rented dethatcher, a simple DIY approach to get sprigs from a pallet of Bermuda sod, been ab- unable to find Tahoma 31 sprigs in, uh, in SoCal, only 2,500 square feet. Thanks. I have no idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to okay. lean on y'all to answer this. Okay. Uh... When he says de-thatcher, 
and pellets of sod. Is he talking about <laughs> laying this out and running a detacher? You know what I tell you, uh, Michael? Don't. Do not. You know what I tell you to do? Instead, I got an idea. track down a chipper shredder and start feeding those sheets of sod through the mouth of the chipper shredder and just let Dude. the chipper shredder grind it up and that's your sprig. Do not mess around with a dethatron. By the way, overall, Unless somebody totally knows what they're doing with the dethatcher, I'm actually not a fan of people using dethatchers to harvest sprigs. And the reason why I'm not a fan is because I've had to attend to some Fubar Zoisha and Seashore Pespalum lawns where the source of the planting material was somebody using a dethatcher. And they didn't set the dethatcher to cut into the existing turf deeply enough. So all you were doing was you were just spreading grass clippings and expecting those to grow. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, if you're going to get picky about establishment methods, and I, it's one of the things I obsess over the most, uh, I will say that in this particular case, I think the chipper on 2,500 square feet might be too much. It might be overkill just in the sense of like, it's going to be really hard to direct that material. unless you're just going to chip it all in a pile and then move it again. I, I don't know where Michael is. I hope he's not talking about doing this this year, unless he's like way down South or something like that. But um, even then his, his, win his window is gone because uh, if he's in SoCal, Bermuda grass is going to cease growth by mid-October. He ain't got enough time to grow it. So assuming this is for next year, but here's here's what I would do. If you he's saying he can't find a grower there or something like that. If you got five hundred square feet, you can make twenty five hundred square feet. Just go get yourself a stick edger, something like that. Chop up that sod into pieces, and they don't have to be mm -hmm. any specific dimension or size. And just lay those out over the lawn. You need to cover twenty percent of it. The other eighty percent will fill in if you water it. And piss out of it and fertilize it just like you have sprigs and you'll have a mm -hmm. whole lawn in eight weeks ten weeks tops boom stick edge yeah. way using the chipper uh the next one here is if you <laughs> apply a uh a one 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 <laughs> how much of each does the plant actually take up and utilize but does it take them to equally or can it only take x amount of p and x amount of k so if you're if you're applying it foliarly, you're going to be limited by uh, how. Okay. So all right, you are balancing salts on either side of the leaf surface, right? Um, because because you're going to have a higher concentration of salt on the outside of the leaf surface versus uh, the uh, the moisture content inside the leaf, right? So. That'll balance out be between uh, the inside and outside of the leaf. Uh, at what degree is that going to happen? Um, uh, theoretically, uh, if if they are all of uh, if if 
if all of the dissociated ions are of relatively same size, uh, it should be uh, at about the same rate. But they're, they're, they're not going to be, Hell and then yeah. you've got polarity and all that ends up going. But it's a, it's a, lot, of, a lot of shit to... To 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 I, I think it's I think it's way overcomplicating it. And I think the easiest thing to do is think of it this way. Yes, you are making a foliar application of a one-to-one-to-one, but I would use this as a reference for your assumed nutrient ratios. And boys, y'all feel free to co-sign my bullshit on this, but we know that for every one unit of N that we apply, we are going to get a half unit of K. Um, we are going to get a, uh, uh, well, this, this states it in elemental P, right? But as, as P205, it's going to be times 2.25. So approximately it would be a, uh, uh, a quarter. Uh, so one unit of N would be a half unit of K, would be a quarter unit of P, right? And uh, so... An, an easy way to look at that would be like a four to one to two ratio is about how that would end up in the leaf surface. Now with, with again, you know, is it, are you going to have, you know, primarily P2 ions and, and pluses and minuses and charges and all that shit. And how is all that going to factor in? And, and then you've got your, your actual P sources, right? Is it from potassium phosphate? We're just going to have a different, uh, structure than like uh, ammonium phosphate and potassium sulfate, or is it potassium nitrate and and potassium sulfate? Um, is it uh, uh, diapotassium phosphate? Is it monopotassium phosphate? Uh, is it monoammonium phosphate? Is it diammonium phosphate? You get you're going to get a lot of different variations of what is going to make it into the plant. So I think the simplest way to do it is that if you're applying one unit of each. Uh, it's safe to assume that it will work itself out to eventually one unit of N, a half unit of K, a quarter unit of P. Does that make sense? Then the rest of it will deposit into the soil at a certain uh, growth contribution, right? So it's going into the soil. It's easy to think of the soil in that instance as a bank, right? So half or uh, uh, three quarters of that P that you applied will go into the bank. Half of that K that you applied will go into the bank. None of the N that you applied will go into the bank. And that's not exactly correct. I'm leaving out a lot of nuance, but um, it, it's kind of a, uh, probably the most simple way to look at it. Y'all help me talk this through. Is that, is that the easiest way to think of this? That is the, that yeah. is the simplest way to go think ahead. of this. And this is why when somebody talks about making a quote-unquote foliar application, I always advise never presume 100% foliar update. All right? Never. And even though you don't get 100% foliar update, your application is not lost because do you know what's beautiful about grass, turf grass specifically, is that Turf grass has a network of roots and absorptive structures right at the thatch layer that are capable of uptaking and utilizing nutrients. So it's not all loss. Yeah. So 
that's why, for example, I can talk about applying a one tenth pound or two tenths pound in equivalent application of one one one, and that is not a lost application or a wasted application because I know damn well whatever the grass doesn't take up finds its way to that network of absorbing roots. Okay. Uh, to, to that point, uh, JP, go ahead and throw this up. Um, so this is a, uh, a paper that was written by uh, the late Chris Steigler, who was a uh, PhD at the University of Arkansas with Mike Richardson and then uh, Doug Karcher when he was there. Uh, he did a lot of really good work on uh, volatilization, uptake, things like that on foliar sources. And the one like really important thing that uh, he was able to pull out, and they did some other studies where they uh, measured this over a longer period of time. But this is a really simple study where they took a tenth of a pound of nitrogen, right? So we're just talking about nitrogen, not P and K. I agree with uh, what these guys are saying, that it, once you get into a plant situation, that's going to balance out to what plant tissues are when we do measure those the dry weight which in in a textbook setting just what matt said in those ratios so forget about all that what he said is perfectly on point so this is um each of these different uh nitrogen sources are here and they're labeled in the bottom you've got urea uh kno3 which is calcium nitrate you got ammonium sulfate don't worry about the other ones those are the only ones you're ever going to really worry about and see and you're Th those are amino the acids part, and I'll, right. I'll give you some That's real nerdy shit. You apply an amino acid, you're going to get nitrogen isotopes that end up uh, going off in the plant in, in 13 and 14, all kinds of crazy shit. So good enough. Yeah. So that's why we're just worried about the first three. U-R-K-N-A-S, okay? And the point here is that this is at 0.1 pounds of actual nitrogen, right, across these different uh, analysis. So you got urea at 46%, KNO3 is like 15.5, and then 21% on ammonium sulfate. Now, the differences here between these compounds are that uh, salt index, right? So you know when we spray ammonium sulfate, even at a tenth of a pound, car carrier volume matters. And one of the things they noted in this about safety factor is these were all applied at 58 gallons per acre. So just shy of about a gallon and a half per thousand on our carrier, right? Probably a little bit less than I'd really like to see uh, ammonium sulfate applied even at a tenth of a pound, but it is what it is, right? They're trying to normalize the data and just go across with the same methods, right? So Interesting thing here. You look at urea, you look at urea, you look at ammonium sulfate across the board, 40%, pretty much on par, no statistical differences there between the uptake on those after an hour. Then you look at these eight hours later. So no irrigation applied before, no irrigation applied after the fact when they measured these. And so this uptake, the way they measure this is that they label, label these uh, nitrogen sources with a radioactive isotope, and then they can measure how much of that is actually inside the plant after these time periods. So pretty interesting study. So you can kind of understand and see that we can get close to about 60%, you know, 55, 60% uptake in eight hours if we leave that on the plant. So again, that comes down to timing of when you put this stuff out, conditions that exist after the application to maximize uptake, your carrier volume, your nitrogen source. So there's lots of different factors. So when we get down in the weeds about, oh, hey, do this, don't do that, we're just trying to maximize, you know, the use of your time, right? To go out there and mix up a tenth of a pound of nitrogen and spray it out is a lot of work for a little bit of input. I mean, in comparative terms, a little bit of input. So you best do it the right fucking way and maximize your results. So that's all I have to say about that. Whammy. Uh, 
Uh, J, J, oh, wait, where am I? No, I'm up here. Sorry. Uh, okay. Uh, Stamin, Stamingia. Stamming, Stamingia. I'll go with that. Uh, good evening, gentlemen. I have a ton of questions. How do I keep the effing birds off my newly planted grass seed? Little MFers. Uh, also, if I mix up some ammonium sulfate and iron sulfate that's been sitting for like, I don't know, 10 days, is it still good? Uh, and one more quick question. Uh, what I missed the emoji of the Arizona State powder and why is it so foamy? Iron sulfate, that Arizona State. Uh, he. Iron sulfate powder. That iron last sulfate. part? Oh. Yeah. Okay. Why is oh, the, iron okay. sulfate and ammonium sulfate. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's a coded, it's a coded, uh, it's, a coded so. it's a coded message, Matt. Unfocus your eyes. Yeah, yeah. Fine. Okay. I got it. Uh, uh, Rick Fong. Yeah, you know, the manufacturer of ammonium far, sulfate. Yeah, as far as the birds go, you know what I suggest? I suggest a dog with a very high prey drive. <laughs> In absence of that, a four ten pump shotgun. <laughs> That's that's the other way. Or third way that I'm familiar with yes. is a one seven seven caliber uh pellet rifle, preferably manufactured in Germany. That's the that's the third way. <laughs> German okay. Uh-huh. And then yeah, in speaking to the ammonium sulfate and iron sulfate, provided your solution has been maintained at below pH 5.5, then it is still good. Otherwise, why are you mixing materials several days beforehand? Don't do it. Only mix what you're going to apply because what happens with something like iron sulfate is that iron sulfate is very fond of turning itself into ferric oxide when it's you know kept in a water solution especially when your water is already alkaline and contains other materials such as calcium and magnesium in it so you know in the future only mix what you're about to apply and use up immediately The um the ammonium sulfate iron sulfate that's foamy chances are your ammonium sulfate comes from uh, Honeywell and they use a uh, a declumping agent in it that's why it has a pinkish hue uh, and it is notorious mm-hmm. for being foamier than other ammonium sulfate sources that would be my guess that it is. It also could be that you have really high pH water that's full of carbonates, and then you're you might be getting some reaction that takes place when you add it to it too. Um, that's that's also a possibility. But if I had to guess, just from handling various ammonium sulfate manufacturers' products, I'm guessing it comes from Honeywell Advan Six, and uh, it's just naturally foamier than some of the other manufacturers' products. Uh, John Bates said thoughts on recognition, primarily used with fusillade. If it's been covered recently, skip it. Um, we did talk about it, but uh, we can kind of highlight what we did talk about is that uh, one, it is trifloxysulfuron, also known as Monument, at a minute rate. However, they have added 
a kicker that functions as uh, a safety increaser, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. so a, a lot like you can add uh, a, a triclopyr to um, uh, a Pylex in order to negate yep. some of the bleaching effect you get from, uh, from, from Pylex. This is an, an inert. It's not an herbicide that you add, but it is a kicker of sorts. Uh, that will increase the safety profile on uh, sensitive grass sites, namely uh, St. Augustine, right? Uh, so now where trifloxysulfuron on St. Augustine gave you significant troubles in the past, now you, you get that flexibility of using it, plus the flexibility of the of the extra hot sauce you get from Fusillade 2, uh, which, is, which is also going to enhance your spectrum of grassy weed control. So uh, my thoughts on it beyond that is that I've never used it, so I have I have no idea in terms of efficacy. But I will say UT is reporting a good results with it, uh, specific to goosegrass in zoysia. Um, and uh, someone else is the um, uh, who, who was oh Chad Chastain with uh, the uh, centipede guys we had on said. He was impressed with it on goosegrass. However, outside of goosegrass, he said it left a lot to be desired. So there are two, uh, two, two different situational reports that I at least have anecdotes on. Um, Ray, do you have do you have anything to add to that? Actually, uh, you kind of covered it because the uh, premise behind recognition is that they've added a unique safener to that trifloxysulfuron that not only mitigates the negative effect that trifloxysulfuron has on St. Augustine, but it also mitigates the negative effect that Fusillade 2 or Fluazifop has on both St. Augustine and Zoysia grass. Because in my time, I've applied my fair share of Fusillade 2 to Zoysia turf. And this is a case of you quickly find out where your boom has overlapped excessively because, you know, with Fusillade 2, the suggested dose for applying to Zoysia turf is 4 ounces per acre. However, make note of the fact that at 8 to 12 ounces per acre, Fusillade 2 is normally suggested as a total kill for most grasses. So, you know, you basically have no safety margin with that Fusillade application, but uh, recognition allows you to crank up that rate of Fusillade that you can apply to Zoysia and even to St. Augustine to the point where you can get a one-application kill on a lot of grassy weeds, including unwanted Bermuda grass, unwanted crabgrass, and unwanted goosegrass. And this is kind of a big thing because here's something I know. Options for controlling mature goosegrass in Zoysia are very limited. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, all right. I, all right. Hang on. We, we, we'll get a couple of these and then we'll, go, we'll go back to that. All right. <laughs> it's, it's, that be, well, that'll be our end. Fine. That'll be our last thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, we yeah, got yeah. what we got uh, nine nine more minutes to take questions here. We'll take questions up yeah. until ten, and then anything that gets in before ten, we will stay and answer. And then, uh, yeah, we have a a special guest tonight uh, is, to talk is, to. It's just too funny. Okay, it's too funny. Uh, right, can a tank mix of ethyfumosate and mesotrione be applied to Kentucky bluegrass perennial ryegrass at time of seeding for both POA A and other pre-emergent control, or is it overkill? Uh, I wouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> I would. I don't yeah. think I'd go with mesotrione. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I personally I wouldn't, do, wouldn't do either. Um, uh, and and you know, if you if you need to do. And, and I'll, I'll say that is that you're going to get wildly different perspectives of all of this. I would not use mesotrione. I, there's nothing using it pre-emergently that I've just been so wow factored that I would factor it into the cost of what I'm doing. Uh, the other thing is that because there's a relatively high safety profile of uh, uh, 2,4-D and other broadleaf herbicides on young, uh, young grass that I just, I don't, I don't worry too much about the weed pressure on the front end. Obviously, there's going to be certain instances where weed pressure, you know, early into establishment is a big deal. Um, usually, in, in a residential lawn setting, it's it's not. So I don't I don't worry about it a whole lot. I assume I don't know that this is bare ground or if it's uh, overseeding. That's a good point too. If you're bare ground, uh, you know the uh, research from Rutgers. This is done 2010, 11, maybe 12, something like that. Uh, indicates that there's a, a 38, I think it's like 38, 40%, something like that, reduction in Poe annual by spraying that at seeding at five fluid ounces per acre on bare ground. Uh, and then that's it subsequently goes down. It goes down the next year. quite So I think that's the, the point there. They didn't really go further than that, to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Dave Minter, when he was at Iowa State, did some work on this with saying, you know, put out an, an article, a magazine, periodical article about how you could, kind of control bluegrass or annual bluegrass with uh, mesotrione, but it was never really fully vetted. Uh, but I think what the point of the Rutgers study was, and they stopped short of saying this, is that in an interseeding or overseeding situation, it's it was below 20%. So, yeah, there's some benefit there, but... Uh... Yeah. Uh, the yeah. next one here is, uh, let's see, Woody said a fall pre-emergent at what ground temp or air temp? Um, so I look for more of a trend, right? So, uh, uh, in, in normally, so there's a couple of things I look at is one daylight hours decreasing and two soil temperatures decreasing. And I want to apply prior to reaching 55 degrees soil temperatures. Really, and you're going to see this more and more. POA is adapting; it's germinating at higher and higher soil temperatures. In fact, a lot of times it's not even dying completely. It's it'll just it'll go dormant enough. I have been in Augusta, Georgia, and seen POA annua around an air conditioner when it was 115 degrees outside. Uh, in August that had just germinated. And then by September 1st, it went to seed. Um, so, you, you know, in that's an anomaly. That's not the norm. But the point being is that that plant went to seed. It could have established. We don't know where it's going to end up. It's adapting. It's changing. It's it's becoming more tolerant of, of temperatures that we haven't accustomedly uh, seen it at in, in the past. So 
Um, if I were you and you know, say you're at 70, 65 degrees soil temperatures, uh, it's, uh, it's September the 7th in East Tennessee, you damn right. I'm, I'm applying my fall pre-emergent and I have no ifs, ands, qualms, buts, or about it. It's, it's going down. In fact, probably, uh, I would be starting that as if, if, if I'm doing fall pre-apps in, in our area, uh, of Woody, I'm normally starting that August 26th, maybe August 21st, depending on what that trend line looks like. That's purely based off my experience. Um, that's that's going to be different if you're in Upper New York, um, you know, as far as those dates, right? But shortened daylight hours and a trend line of decreasing soil temperatures. And, and normally, as you see shorter daylight hours, you're going to see a a trend line of decreasing soil temperatures as well, too, right? So, um, anyway, that's my recommendation on it. Y'all do it any other way? Nope. I mean, you see, this is something that I almost went into rant mode with somebody and that stop <laughs> looking at dates. For fuck's sake, stop looking at dates. Look at your temperature trends. And your temperature trends literally dictate what you do to turf grass and when you do it. Because does Mother Nature have a fucking calendar and look at it? No, she doesn't. It Weather happens when it happens, so you just have to pay attention to your trends. You know, and it changes year to year. So you just have to be watching and looking because that's what I'm doing because, you know what, guys? This might be the year that I don't have to worry about large patch on Zoisha. And you know why I don't have to worry about large patch on Zoisha? Because there's a good possibility that we're going to be hitting 90s well into December and January. Can you hear me? It's now? not going to get cold here. Nah. It's not going to get cold. I mean, <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> but that's why I say you cannot just oversimplify this for yourself thinking. A date, a date, a date. No, pay attention to the weather trends. <laughs> uh, Grass Thief said, do any of these fungicides have preventative uh, a spring dead spot on the label? Uh, for hybrid Bermuda, that would be uh, Exemplar, Microbutanil, Headway G. Um, I, 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 I don't know off the top of my head. Do you all know? I would probably tell you to... If you think you need a spring dead spot preventative, go for the high rate of headway G. But, Grass Thief, what I would also advise you is, how about you skip the fungicides this year and see if you even get spring dead spot in the first place. And if you don't get it, then you don't need a spring dead spot fungicide. I, I, and Grass Thief has, has what, Tahoma 31? Tahoma 31, yeah. And, yeah, and Tahoma 31, do you know why Tahoma 31 even, like, came to the top five of uh, Bermuda grass cultivars? Do you know why it's in the top five? Not, not getting a lot of... Uh, miscellaneous disease and... No, miscellaneous disease, period. And you know what my experience with uh, 
Toma 31 here in Hawaii has been so far, it's not particularly susceptible to most of the disease issues that made Bermuda grass unpopular here in the first place. Like, I'm not seeing take-all patch. I'm not seeing leaf spot. I'm not seeing a lot of dollar spot. I mean, it's just basically negating all of the issues that made people say no more Bermuda. So in other words, when you have you Tomo 31, you basically have a real trooper. And you don't need to worry about babying it with all kinds of fungicides. That's, that's right. Not needed, Gresty. The, the El Toro lobo, lobby, you know? <laughs> coming right back to him. Yeah. That too, Ryan. I mean, <laughs> that too. <laughs> uh jameson murphy and we're going to go ahead and end, end on the questions right now we're not going to answer any questions after this we'll actually keep a log of it though i know jay pink is big into logging things and uh, so we'll, we'll keep a log of it maybe we'll talk about it on the after show we'll figure it out i like smell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wasn't there another one we pulled off recently remind me which glyphosate. one is go ahead glyphosate glyphosate <laughs> my ears my God, my ears. Uh, Glycophate. Um, yeah. All right. All right. I'm dealing with white flies. Uh, never had them before. Came out of nowhere. Do they harm turf grass? Biofin did nothing. About to spray cyanide 9.7 next. Are you sure it's Ooh. white flies on your grass? Uh, yeah, uh, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't sound like it. And I'm more concerned about fall some- army worm. Uh, is is what I'm yeah. I'm thinking is that you're seeing yeah, moths yeah. and confusing it for yeah, white it, flies. Yeah, because if you are seeing those small little tannish brownish moths, uh, you know, congregating in the lawn, especially like at night, that would be my clue to watch out for armyworm. And. Fortunately, these days, armyworm management has been made so simple because if you applied a celeprin as your spring grub preventative at full rate, then I consider that insurance against armyworm damage, even at this late stage of the of the season, because. A celeprin is basically a a super insecticide against armyworm because I'm familiar with the ag version of chlorantranilopril called Corrigen. And Corrigen has become very popular for use in crops such as alfalfa, soybeans, and cabbage, of all things. Specifically because it's so effective on caterpillars. <laughs> yeah, the uh yeah, I would keep an eye on that. Uh, but I, I highly doubt it's white flies. If it is white flies, it is no, it's not gonna harm turf grass. Uh yeah, yeah. It's yeah. So yeah, I'd keep a close eye on that. I did see a report that army worms are active in uh coastal Carolina right now. And uh, you know, when they're there, that means they're moving. Uh they're they're coming for a town near you. Yeah, if you're up north, I'd say you're probably all right. 
Um, uh, NATO said, what's the best strategy to get rid of bent grass? Uh, the best strategy is <laughs> still not great, uh, but you're going to be mesotron. And if I, I don't remember the rates on this, but it's a minimum of three apps. And it is, what, what is it? Six, four ounces, four ounces, four ounces, or is it six ounces, six ounces? Five. I can't. Five? You have 16, 16 fluid ounces of the acres, your annual max. So mm-hmm. you can go up to 5.3 per app. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But more uh, apps, good. frequently lower rates is the preferred method. And rake it out. Rake out all the dead shit every time you spray. Get rid of it. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, uh, so, so you're saying four at four ounces would be. Would I'm be saying ideal. if you want to go balls to the wall, five uh-huh. apps, five days apart at 3.2 fluid uh-huh. ounces per acre. And yep. rake out the dead. Yep. Between apps. Rake out yep. the dead every time. And- and run there it is. you know and that is that is literally the use case for either a verticutter or a desatcher to chop up and take out all of the the dying bent grass at that time uh Gardner Earth Guy said, I may start a channel that is about running various things through a wood chipper with looks <laughs> on faces of the rental yard people as I return the chipper. Uh, I will be your first <laughs> subscriber, and uh, I would gladly pay for that content. That That is actually a good one. I'm a, I'm a big into that. Uh, he said, it's the iron sulfate powder from one of the suppliers that when I mix with my water, it foams like crazy, and I even try to do it real slow. And the only reason why is I mix the stuff up. I mix... And I plan on using right away that something came up, then the weather turned to shit, and he wasn't able to use it up right away. What's the best way to get rid of it? Look, chances are you don't need to get rid of it. If it's turned orange and you have a shit ton of solid in the bottom of it, and when I say a shit ton, it would be like you you strain a two and a half gallon container and you pull a full pound, maybe two pounds out of it, then get rid of it. Um, uh, put it, put it, okay, shit. What is the best way to, to get rid of it? Or I'll tell you what you could do is add, add some acid, uh, go get, uh, go get some concentrated vinegar. Um, uh, I, I, I'd probably stay away from glacial acetic acid, but if you can get concentrated cleaning vinegar, you can add that to it and get it to dissolve again. You can add citric acid and get it to dissolve again. Um, and, uh, and then, and then actually reuse it and you don't have to throw it away. So there's a, there's a, yeah, you just, uh, uh yeah, you just reacidify. Yeah, you can reacidify, and and that's what I was saying earlier about how, provided your solution pH stays below five five, you don't get all of that orange ferric oxide precipitate in the first place. Yep. It stays stable, right? So, because I remember reading this old turfgrass text and. Do you know what they were doing that I won't do and I won't tell anybody else to do? They were talking about mixing up ferrous sulfate sprays for the bent greens using ferrous sulfate and sulfuric acid. Hmm. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Hell no. <laughs> may, or, may or may not have done that before. I don't know. Uh, LG said, Ray, what is the wand? Is the wand setup you uh, Evie sent on Discord the same parts list, or is your setup different? I can't explain to you how excited I am to get this thing built and put into use. Also, how do I get buffalo grass out of bluegrass stand other than dig it up or glyphosate? That I have no idea. 
Um, okay, let me let me answer this in that the one setup that Evie sent you is missing a part that you need to be able to use this on high pressure pump systems. That's the that's the difference. I'm going to send you a regulator assembly that you need to have if you are going to be using this on your skid sprayer or an engine drive backpack because it is very important for this wand to have the pressure controlled down to 40 psi do you use like because a your normal regulator in front of the wand or something I actually use what they call a Generant HC regulator, and that is rated for I think 400 plus psi. Okay. And so, and so what that, and so what this guy has is he has a skid sprayer with your normal Hypro D30 on it, mm -hmm. and so I've used a D30 before, and I know that. In order to get the liquid to the end of the hose, you're pushing at least 300 or 400 PSI. And so in order to control that, you need a regulator. If you don't have a, yeah, if you don't have a regulator coming off your, your, uh, your, your hose. There, yeah, yeah, your, yeah, that could. That yeah, could yeah, you, yeah, you can, no, you cannot use the T-Jet nozzles effectively because then you have no way of controlling and managing that pressure down to 40 PSI because T-Jet nozzles operate at a pretty specific operating window of between, I, I want to say, 40 to 90 PSI in most cases. Uh, uh, oh, and bluegrass in, uh, in buffalo grass, removing a buffalo grass out of bluegrass. Any, any ideas on that? Who that is hard because uh, I w almost want to say you can't, you can't because whatever buffalo grass tolerates, bluegrass tolerates as well, and vice versa. Uh, Although you could go, you could, you could go the other way around and get rid of all of the K KBG very easily, though. That's not hard to do. Uh, yeah, I, I was I was gonna say it, it looks like you can apply topramazone to wait. Hang on, let me do this just to make sure. Just to make sure, do not apply to buffalo grass. So you might be able to apply Pylex, uh, which your Kentucky bluegrass will be mostly tolerant to, um, to mm -hmm. your uh, to your lawn, and it there is potential for it to kill your buffalo grass. Not a guarantee. But the the Pilex label says specifically, do not fucking um, uh, apply to apply buffalo, buffalo grass unless you're trying to kill it or suppress it. So uh, that would that would okay. be my my best guess as to what to do. Here's a here's a program if you want to deliberately take out something using Pilex. Can you all imagine? multiple one ounce per acre applications at 14 to 21 day intervals. And, and, you know, the premise behind that is you just keep that undesired species 
bleached and unable to synthesize chlorophyll for a couple months. Stem and geochemistry explanation for how to accurately pronounce that. That's funny. What rates for triclopyr and pilex or tenacity for what? But, you know, yeah, it depends on what you're trying to control. But typically, yeah, I don't know. What are we trying to control? Does anybody remember? Probably. I'm guessing general weeds and cool season turf. And so usually you're at 16 to 32 ounces per acre of triclopyr and ounce of pilex per acre or four ounces per acre of tenacity. And that is going to hit a rather broad spectrum of uh, weeds and cool season grass. Yeah, yeah. But one one ounce an acre for Pilex is like high high rate. You know, you're ready. You're ready to foobar some things. Um, <laughs> uh, Sixteen ounces for sure. Is sufficient. Thirty two is when you're doubly trying to foobar things. Um, Jesse, <laughs> when B you want to make so sure just, shit dies. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jesse B just said to handle the uh, the weeds in post. You can or pick uh, Mesotron. It's it's totally up to you. I I just gave you two different opinions. Uh, DeMay would rather uh, handle it on the front end with Mesotrione. I would rather handle it with Post. There's no right or wrong answer. It's however you want to do it. Uh, ben Brinkman mm-hmm. said, what kind of nozzle should I consider when applying perimeter insecticides? Uh, good question. I'll put that on to you, Ray. I have no idea. Okay. Either. What I typically use for perimeter insecticides is a low-volume adjustable nozzle. You know, set to probably a 45 degree cone because the idea is is to hit you know a band however it depends on which perimeter insecticide you're even using because if applying fipronil or termidor which is a brand name or taurus which is another brand name all you need for that to be effective is literally an extremely narrow, continuous band all around your structure. However, if you're applying bifenthrin or any of the other pyrethroids, it gets different because those products tend to need a lot more surface covered. However, refer to your product label because there's a, a, a use case where you may cover more area with that pyrethroid insecticide, and there's also a scenario where you are literally restricted to crack and crevice or narrow bands of, of that material applied and no more. But I would consult with my label and see which applies to your specific situation because off the top of my head, I know that if your structure or house is completely surrounded by turf grass, you are literally able to spray from eaves all the way down to the soil line. However, if your structure is surrounded by impervious surfaces that 
drains into a waterway, then you're limited to crack and crevice and narrow band applications only. So, you know, you need to read your label and see what situation applies to you. <laughs> Uh, Wilson Miranda said, is, uh, is, uh, potassium phosphate, a good option as P source on high pH soil that and ammonium sulfate and SOP. Um, actually, yeah, that's, uh, that is, that is, wait, yeah, yeah. Is it, wait, is KH, KH2, PO4? What is that? That's, uh, that's MKP. That's MKP. That's, uh, that's monopotassium yeah, yeah, phosphate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's mon- uh, that's mono- was it? Yep. You know what? That is, Hundred percent good, good source. Yeah, that's a good product. That's good stuff. Uh, Dylan Miller said, "What are your thoughts on certain non-selective or pre-emergence being sprayed out of my four-gallon sprayer? Should I have multiple? Need to spray crossbow bow is cleaning the tank. Oh, oh, I see, I see what you're saying. Um, no, I, I have would. no problem doing it as long as you clean it out thoroughly between uh, between sprays. What, what were you going to say, Demay? I would absolutely get two. It's cheap insurance, man. It is. Okay. Because uh, I can hey, tell listen. you that I have foobard that before where I thought okay. I cleaned Celsius enough out of the tank and I didn't and I killed a bunch of fescue. So, you know, but you don't listen. Okay. You, just like you don't, do it. it's like you don't turn a condom inside out and wash it off with some dish soap. Get yourself two backpacks. <laughs> well, I, I have an alternate I have an, I have an alternate take on this. I have an alternate take on this. That is why I like spray equipment that is very easily flushed out. Okay? I like spray equipment with a bottom drain and the ability to basically flush out with clear water and keep flushing until it's all gone because you know what, Matt and Ryan? I do something that's even more risky. Imagine me oh. going from lawn applications to applying in a production nursery. All with the same sprayer. And I haven't had issues because my spray equipment is very easily cleaned and here's another little little thing you know if somebody leaves product in the sprayer and only cleans occasionally then they have a problem because then the residue of what they're applying has a chance to permeate into all of the plastic and rubber parts in that sprayer and then leach back out later. But if you immediately clean and don't let anything sit, your risk of that happening is lower. Uh, we have... I think that's our... Oh, I, I was going to say, more. I thought... The... Oh, we do. Uh, Ignacio uh, said, is there any green ground cover I can see it in Xeon Zoysia? Uh, I know you said don't do rye. Um, is there? Uh, do you recommend adding anything besides water during drought, summer dormancy? Um, if you're getting drought and summer dormancy, and you know you're not seeing any symptoms of hydrophobicity, is there anything you can add? No, just 
water. Um, if you do see symptoms of hydrophobicity, uh, the easy thing to do is dig up a sample, drop some water on it, see does it beat up on it or does it uh, absorb into the soil fine. Uh, then you can use a wetting agent. Um, but as far as green ground cover for uh, zoysia grass, no. Uh, don't. Nothing. Zebra. Don't, right? Zero. And you know That's, what? If uh, the way I approach any kind of discoloration, be it due to winter dormancy, disease damage, whatever, on zoysia turf, is I give zero fucks what a certain YouTube influencer says. If the zoysia is discolored and unsightly, I am going to paint it. I don't care. Okay? Just get out the endurant. Paint it. <laughs> uh, so two things here. One is uh, Spencer almost made a funny joke tonight. I actually, I, I laughed out loud at one point. Uh, if, you, if you haven't noticed for the last however many weeks, we have to end up uh, blocking to the tune of 20. I think it's been as high as like 25, 28 accounts in a single night because of the yep. uh, obsessive uh, mental illness that is still stirring around in Spencer Smith's brain. <laughs> is I know it just has to be I so hard bad. to live that way. Seriously. The guy... The guy is so fucked off psychologically. It is. It has to be just a miserable way to live. That being said, he did have a good funny tonight. If you don't mind, go ahead and throw this one up. Uh, and what he did is he found my brother on LinkedIn, and he created an account with my brother's name. And my brother <laughs> is a vice president of uh, of the place he works. He used used his headshot and said uh, some chump change for my loser brother family shame. And I, I, actually, I honestly thought actually, that was really your brother and he was just fucking with you. And I was like, yeah, it sounds like it's on brand for the Martin family, you know? Yeah. So my <laughs> brother and I, we do not fuck with each other that way. Like, you know, we'll bust each other's yeah. balls, but not, uh, it, not in that way. So I knew very clearly that was, that was not my brother. It would, he would make fun of me in a totally, totally different capacity. It would be something <laughs> athletically reated, uh, ath athletically reated or, or whatever the case may be. Anyway, it would not read like this. Plus, uh, my brother doesn't type like that either. Um, uh, this, is, this is someone who's very low IQ, smooth brain, a.k.a. Spencer Smith, right? Typical, <laughs> typical shit from him. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then he goes on to create an account and very much on brand under the name Ryan Loves Matt because I guess he ran out of different things uh, to throw under. Uh, just went ahead and put gasoline on the fire to remind everyone that as shitty of a human being he is, he is also... Uh, a horrific racist as well. Good job, Spencer Smith. You, sir, may go fuck yourself. What little bit you did of generating a laugh, uh, you actually took me to a whole new level of disdain for you. And, uh, you know, <laughs> whether whether you get struck by lightning or uh, uh, into a situation where you're in a building and it burns down and your only method of survival is someone <laughs> urinating on you to put, it, to put, put you out, I hope it doesn't happen. And that it, it it turns into a slow, methodical, painful, horrific uh, death for you if if that should ever occur. Uh, I promise I will think absolutely fucking nothing of it. Uh, as a matter of fact, I will probably call your parents and tell them uh, thank you for your service for having survived the fucking horrors that you brought upon the world. Uh, so as a racist piece of shit, you, sir, may go fuck yourself. And uh, we'll catch everybody else on the after show. If you don't know about what the after show is, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash burn and return. Uh, there, we hang out a little more freely. We talk about more of the scene behind the scenes. 
Uh, you get more one-on-one interactions with people like Ray, Ryan, myself, and then also a community of people who are interested in learning. And I don't mean just about grass. Uh, we have experts from every different field, from blue collar to white collar, from investors to, uh, to uh, 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 startups, to uh, lawyers, uh, uh, to IT specialists, anything and everything imaginable, musicians, uh, audiophiles, you, you, you name it, there is a flavor of it uh, in our Discord, uh, and you can check that out. Again, access to that is patreon.com forward slash burn and return. Uh, one of the things I'll be throwing in there tonight is that I'll probably end up going into a little more detail about one of the uh, one of the exercise programs I'm working on just because I've had like a lot of really good success with it here recently. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm into that kind of thing. Uh, so outside of that, just to reiterate again, patreon.com forward slash Burner return. Uh, yes, grass thief. That might be that might be a good idea. Um, and also, Spencer, again, you racist piece of fucking shit. Totally on brand for you. That's exactly how low of a human being that I interpret you to be. And you went ahead and proved it for us. So you, sir, may fuck off. We'll see y'all on the flip side. Bye. You are Holy. a fucking pussy. Holy, like what do you think? What's the what's the after show like? I like to smell. I like the smell. <laughs> I like the smell. <laughs>